Hey folks, Sam Jones here. Welcome to another edition of Off Camera, the show where I get to talk to iconic, creative, curious artists and find out how they got that way. And in this episode, I sit down with actress Andy McDowell. When Andy McDowell was a curious and wide-eyed eight-year-old, a trip to the university theater with her mother planted a seed. The adults on stage were playing make-believe, her most favorite game in the world, and she was mesmerized. Add a penchant for prank calls and some improv with unsuspecting barkeeps, and the seed that was planted would later grow into her passion for acting. And Andy is nothing if not passionate. Although Andy is an industry vet with over 30 years of experience, she's still chomping at the bit to stretch and grow, despite how challenging it could be for women to find roles of substance. As a model, Andy was often held to an impossible standard of perfection, but she knows her success transcends what people see on the surface. Quote, I've always known the real reason people would connect with me would be not for the way I looked, but for how I made them feel. Andy joins me on Off Camera to discuss why her role in Love After Love is her most interesting since Sex, Lies, and Videotape, how to move past gender inequality in Hollywood, why her childhood struggles have made her a better mom, and how to properly cook a steak. So pull up a chair and listen in. Hi, Andy. Hi, Sam. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. Well, I've been a fan forever, and you know what's funny about seeing you here? First off, you don't look like you've aged a day since I started <laughs> watching films, you know, since, well, I guess, Sex, kind. Lies, and Videotape, right? Yeah. Life is interesting. Um, I'm going to be 60 in April. That is crazy. I know. Life goes by so fast, and and it's so time is so precious, but... Um, you know, I, I, you know, it seems like yesterday and it seems like a long time ago, both at the same time. Well, uh, I want to start with, um, Love After Love, which is this film that you've Mm -hmm. just completed. And it's notably different than anything I've seen in a long time. You play a mom to two adult sons, Mm -hmm. James Adomian and Chris O'Dowd. And the film takes place over a time period where you lose your husband and you're all sort of dealing with that loss in different ways and, and you're having these new relationships with men and, and you're watching your kids uh, fall apart in different ways and have odd relationships. Mm-hmm. And it's just a different film experience. There's layers of grief and of shame and of regret and, and yet none of these things are spelled out in plot points. They're sort of just inferred to the audience in a way that the film sort of just washes over you. And it's a beautiful film. And you know, it was shot on 16 millimeter. That's oh, why it looks so that. beautiful. But Chris and I had interesting chemistry, I think, which really helped a lot. Uh-huh. I, I think Chris was very much like me in the fact that the film meant a lot to him as an artist. He really wanted to, you know, not do. He, he does a lot. He's a beautiful comedian. Right. I think he was really looking forward to playing a complex character. You know, doing some a, a dramatic role and. I was starving. I was so hungry, you know, to have a role, an opportunity like this. I couldn't believe I was getting to play this woman. So I was chomping at the bit. I think we both came in with enormous amounts of energy. Yeah. Because these two people, mother and son, have this relationship that has no boundaries. It's so intertwined emotionally with each other. Right. So that was all a part of it. And... The death, the death of the 
of my husband was he was our anchor. So you've got these two people that are pro- probably kind of screwed up. And this man that was the anchor in the house, it was the sane one, right? And he dies. Right. And it's a smart film. So it's not, it's not a film that tells you everything. Expect, no. You know, it calls on your intelligence to be able to decipher what's happening. So it doesn't spell everything out for you. Well, when the film opens, you're sitting sort of in a window box and having a conversation with Chris O'Dowd, who plays your son. And right from the beginning, I go, gosh, I've never seen you that way before. There's a rawness to your performance and, and a... Um, I told you I was hungry. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, what does that mean when you say that? What do you mean? Well, because I, you know, I feel that I haven't had an opportunity. You know, you can't show people what you can do unless you're given an opportunity. It's impossible. Yeah. If you can't get the role, and I, they're hard to get, really hard. There's, you haven't got to think about how many wonderful actors there are out there that are, that are vying for the same role kept saying to Russ, just because I just like, I was like, am I really in this movie? I kept saying that because right. I just, you to know. To Russ Harbaugh, the director. Yes. I just was like, am I going to be in this movie? I was just like, oh, I wanted it so bad. And the character, you don't see female roles written like this. You just don't see complex characters written like this, where the women look, as, look like these women looked. Full, full-fledged characters. You know, right. not just an asset for the man, but, you know, individual characters that are really well developed because you see my character in the beginning and what she looks like in the beginning and she does not look like that after the husband dies i'm like not at all yeah that's right she's destroyed completely yeah. destroyed all whatever that life and exuberance that she had is destroyed and then it comes back you see it come it starts to come back but yet it's different it's it'll never be the same you know she will be a different person but it comes back. But what does that feel it. like to, as your ability and your craft gets better and more nuanced and full of more experience, the amount of roles and the amount of stories being written about the age you are and... Diminish. Diminish. Here's the thing. When I turned 40, I could not do an interview without being asked, how does it feel to turn 40 and know that you're not going to work anymore? That really? was an acceptable question. It has been an acceptable question. And, you know... I answered it to the best of my ability. Um, I never wanted to be a whiner. It's like, you know, I'd hear people complain and it was like, you know, there's a part of me that didn't want to complain, but it is, it's just, it was the truth. I mean, if they're asking the question, there's a problem. And it's only this year that that question is going to change. Because until this year, that's been okay. That has been acceptable behavior. And they would never ask a man that. They don't ask that. And they hear it all the time. It's 40 is when a man starts to, his career really comes alive. Right. You know, and he starts to really get opportunity to play all these interesting characters. But I thought of something funny I wanted to tell you because recently I was offered a role and the director is a hot director, like really hot director. And it was, the, the role was that big, just teeny, teeny, tiny little role. But I was like, okay, you know, I get to work with the hot director with really hot, the, the other actor was, I don't know if I want to say who it is, but... 63, he was 63, and he's gorgeous 63-year-old man and famous. And I thought, I read the script, and I got to the part, my part. It's an interesting part, but then they had her coming out of the bathroom and dropping her towel, and he's laying in the bed, and it's sort of like written, you know, it's still that classic, the woman comes out of the bathroom, drops the towel, the man's in the bed, and 
he's strong and hunky and whatever. And I thought to myself, I won't get this. I'm not going to get this. Because they're going to hire someone at least 10 years younger than me because she's dropping the towel. I know. I know what they're going to do. Not that my body is bad, but 10 years ago, it was better, I'm telling you. And um, I was right. But here's my thing. (laughs) Here's my thing. You didn't get the role. I didn't get the role. But anyway... My thing is, is in reading it, I didn't want her. I didn't want to play her. I wanted to play him. Right. I don't want to be the one in the doorway dropping the towel. I want to be the person in the bed. And I want the man to be in the doorway dropping the towel. Because I'm tired. You know what? I'm tired of the cliches. And so are all of us. We're just tired. We're tired of dropping the towels. We would rather be in the bed for a while. And that's what we need to see. We need to see more roles like that. My daughter recently, I, don't want, I shouldn't, probably shouldn't talk to her, but she wrote her people telling her she wanted to go up for man, male roles. And she's right. And I thought, good for you. You're very brave. And I get it. I get it. Because it's so cliche how we're written, you know? Completely. <laughs> and it's not that I don't want to be that person, too. I, I'm, I'm really happy to do that. I'm happy to play the person that drops the towel and be vulnerable and whatever. But I'd also like to have an opportunity to be the person laying in the bed watching the person drop the towel. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? I, completely. <laughs> I, I completely. I, I, you would love to have the choice is what you're saying. <laughs> well, I'd like to see both. That's right. Yeah, I would like to break the mold and for us to get to be that person for a while. And also, here's the thing. Men get to be imperfect. So the man laying in the bed can have a a little bit of a belly, and he can be age spots, and he can have crinkles, and um, and he's seen as sexy, you know, like really sexy, like really hot. Because that's what we have been taught and educated. And it's also, the screen is, is is a very powerful, very powerful tool for um, social acceptance. And because that has been happening for so long, it is in us to believe that that man is sexy because that's what we've been taught on the big screen. It's been glorified to us. And the opposite of the magazine cover with the women. And the woman has to be a lot younger and she has to be perfect. I mean, like, perfect. She cannot have age spots. She cannot have crinkles. And she can't have a little bit of gully. And she can't, you know, she just can't. She has to be perfect. Otherwise, she's not sexy. And why is that? Why is that? I wonder, honestly, how you go on in an industry and how you, how you keep going and keep like it's thinking not, it's, it's going really, to change. It's really not just the industry. The industry is powerful because socially we set standards for every woman out there. Right. So, yeah, it's us. It's me. It's me. But it's also every other woman and how they see themselves and how they think about themselves and the rhetoric and the words you hear. And it just affects it affects women everywhere. I went in for a job one time, and um, this was years ago. I read the script. I used to, used to be so easy in my 30s. It was fabulous. I could go home, be a mom, not worry about working, and then all of a sudden I would be, you know, after like four months, I'd go, okay, I've got to work. And I could call my agent, who always took my calls, (laughs) first thing, and... um, I could say, you know, I'm really ready to work. And I could come to Los Angeles and I'd have five meetings and I'd get a job. 
It was so easy. It was one of those times. So I came in and I met with someone who I thought I was going to get along with great because he did um, romantic comedies. And um, the script I read, and I really thought I was too old for it. But, and it was a good script. It was female lead. And I went in, had the meeting, and he said to me, I had heard that they, people said this, but not living in Los Angeles, I wasn't so surrounded about, around the information, but I had heard that quite often they preferred to cast the male lead because they believe that people go to movies to see men, they don't go to movies to see women. They thought, they said that both men and, men and women are attached to the male lead, not to the woman. This was a theory within the business. So I go into the meeting, we're having a nice conversation, and he says that to me, that he's gonna hire the man first because people go to movies to see the man, not the woman. Now, it's about a woman. And I'm so floored that he has just said this to me. I cannot believe it. Right. That I said to him, I think you're wrong. I said, I have to tell you, the honest truth is, I think I'm too old for this. But I believe if you hire Renee Zellweger for this, you will have a hit. And of course, I didn't get the job and I left and that was kind of that. But I just couldn't believe he said it. And I said it to him in a you know, strong, slightly unpleasant way, I have to say. But I just, I just couldn't believe I, that he had said it. But that is the theory. And I will guarantee you there are a lot of men in this town right now that still believe that theory. I wonder, and I've thought about this recently, is it a self-ego thing that they need men to be that powerful for themselves? Is that what it is? Well, I think the period of time that you came up in, you bore the brunt of a lot of that kind of thinking. And I don't know how much it takes to change. Like Isn't it's it pushing so against funny massive... that they still do that thing? Like, oh, we're so surprised that a, a movie about a woman has done well. Still. It's ludicrous. Right. But, you know, you have to think about how narcissistic that is. I mean, truly. It's really vulgar to even say something like that. Yes, to be shocked at that. To be shocked at that. Right. Oh, big surprise. It's about a woman? How ugly is that? Yeah. And it, for to, some, be, to be surprised by that. To be surprised by yeah. that. And I don't want to come off that I don't love men. I love men. I love men. I'm just, I, you know, I just feel like they don't, some of them, and not all of them, not you, Sam. <laughs> some of course of, not Some me. of them have just been also in sort of like the trap with us, you know? They've been caught in the same trap with us in, in this old um, dysfunctional system. And so it's like, you know, they keep repeating you know, bad behavior and um, bad information because it's they're pre-programmed too. It's just like they, I mean, if you stop and really think about it and if they could step outside themselves and look at it and go, yeah, that's probably a pretty ugly thing to say. Big surprise. We make a woman, a, a movie with a female lead and we're surprised. Can they not see how insane that is to say right. something like that? Right. <laughs> no, it's true. But you're right. It's it's there's this conditioning. Yeah. And, and and you know. It's not a healthy. It's really not a. It's not a healthy perspective. No. It's, it's it's not a healthy perspective. It's not, and it's not justifiable, and it's um, not healthy for either of us, either one of us. It's just not good. And it was like I said, I inside my myself, I have always thought, 
what do you, how do you feel about your daughters and your mother? That's what I've always, I've always felt that when I would get these messages. I, I, I just, you know, I'd, I, I struggled, struggled with it, really struggled with it on how they felt, how they could continue to think this and say it and, you know, keep it going if they, when they really loved their mother and they loved their daughters. So that makes sense now when you said that when this role came along, you were, the opportunity felt so big. But oh, in a way, so that's even sad that, that and, uh, this and I'm still waiting for, but, you know, I do think these roles are not written. don't think these roles like this are written all the time, but right. I still wonder if I'll ever get another role that's this great again. But how does really that... Good. How Sex, Lies, and Videotape was a great role. That was a great role. Great role. And I think... Did that give you a false sense of what your career would be like? I do think that the role that's, that I am, I feel the most creative in is a role that allows me the opportunity to play a woman that um, is strong and all that, but also who's broken. I think that that's why, you know, in Sex, Lies, and Videotape, she, there's a part of her that's broken because she's repressed and her sister is sleeping with her husband and she doesn't have orgasms. <laughs> yeah. She's got some problems. She has some problems. Yeah. She doesn't like to talk about sex. Um, but, you know, so she's psychologically interesting, I think. So I think roles that are psychologically interesting are fascinating to me. Um, and this character is psychologically interesting. The whole, like, talking about boundaries. And love um, after love. Love after yeah. love. Love after love. So yeah. I think that's where I really get excited as, as an actor, like, be, being able to play those kind of characters. I think it's really hard to find those kind of characters. And the other things that I've been successful, successful in didn't really have those components. So I think the, I would compare Sex, Lies, and Videotape and Love After Love for me as finding a character that speaks, really truly speaks to me and the nuance of the complexity of, of her brokenness. Right. You know, just being able to dive into to all, of, to all of that. Did this script, when you got it, give you opportunities to do work where you... You know, you got to go deep in a way that you hadn't had the opportunity to do in a while. Yes. And how was that work for you? So much of it, I have to give credit to Russ and to Chris. Because um, Chris was very, he, Chris had a way of, you know, I told you, I think this really had a, meant a lot to him. And, um, I came in after Chris, so I didn't really understand what his relationship with Russ. I was a little jealous of their relationship. I think all of these components added to our, my performance. <laughs> and um, Chris, would he more or less kind of dominated how we would um, rehearse. Right. And at first, I had some problems with that, and we had some friction. It was interesting. Um, which just added more layers to our characters, which was fabulous. Um, but then I kind of I let go. I really let go, and I just let the process happen. But I felt like it was already, it was just in my bones. Like the character was in my bones. I was so there. I think I was so there because of the process and how we shot it, and the the opportunity to improv, and the and the pace, and Chris, and my feelings for Chris really helped a lot. Because I loved him and I hated him, and that just helped so much. 
Right. Well, you what? can feel both of those. You can They're feel the there. tension between the I mother know. and the son. And I for remember sure. thinking, this is gonna, this is helping. What he's doing to me is just really helping. It's helping so much. One time he made me cry. And um, he apologized right after it. And I said, that's okay, Chris. You're just making me better. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you, did you feel vulnerable at all? Because I feel like it's a film that kind of requires you to be very human so and messy. and. Yes, I did feel vulnerable. You did. I'll tell you. Yeah, I'm not really cool about taking my clothes off, I have to say. It's, it's just not something I'm comfortable with. But it's actually good in this role, this particular role, because I don't think she was comfortable either. So right. that helped. We also knew that I wasn't thrilled about having to take my clothes off. And um, we were getting ready to do the scene. Because you've never done that before, right? I, no, because back in, you know, in my day, nobody ever did it. It was, like, not seen as a great thing to do. You always had doubles. Now it's become much cooler and much more acceptable, and people don't look down upon you for doing it. There was, like, a double standard there even, though, I think, for women. like Oh, for sure. Yeah. You always expect to see it in you're a certain level of movie. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. That's right. It was a hard situation. Anyway. And I've gotten much cooler also because me and my, where I grew up and my whole conservative side of my family and the, the good girl thing and how I was raised was terrified. You know, there was this part of me that just wanted to be brave and take my clothes off. But this other part was like, I don't want to embarrass my kids. I don't want to embarrass, now my kids are grown. And so there was a certain freedom for me now because I can't embarrass anybody anymore, right? They're not little kids. <laughs> well, that is, that is the, the thing. And that's the state I'm in with my kids right now. No matter what I do around anybody else, I'm humiliating my kids. Yes. I Imagine feel, if yeah. you're taking your clothes off and, and all your friends know your mother just took your clo yes. clothes off. So there's that thing. So note to self, don't take my clothes <laughs> off when I'm dropping and my kids off at school. So that all their friends see you. <laughs> yes, oh, I, I saw your mother naked. So I'm upstairs and Russ says, how do you think you want to do this? And I said, well, I've been thinking. I said, do you want me to show you? And he said, yeah. So he's standing there and I take my clothes off. But this is how I felt with Russ at that point. It right. just, I felt so safe with him that it just really wasn't a big deal. So I took my clothes off and I went into the bathroom and I was kind of like, you know, trying to figure out the angles and I was like, well, is it okay? And he just kept saying, you are so beautiful. But I, I don't know that I've ever, ever had anyone tell me how beautiful I was the way he told me You're kidding I was me. beautiful. Nope, I don't think I have. Honestly, I don't, I don't think, in my memory, I don't, I can't remember ever fee feeling it, at least, someone telling me the way he told me I was beautiful. It was a really beautiful, it was, this, it was just a great moment. He's such a sweet man. Wow. So anyway, I go in to shoot the scene. So I'm all relaxed, right? I go in to shoot the scene, <laughs> and the DP says, oh, watch your tummy, and of course, well, then, and he was a gorgeous man. I loved right. him, like all oh, things. He, he I, was thought he was protecting I, you. Protecting me. Yeah. But there was this part of me, it was just like, really, just let my tummy show, you know? I'm so tired. I'm so tired of trying to be perfect and worrying about being like, an, you know, some kind of object that's not even real. You know, it's so beautiful to hear you say this and <laughs> talk about exhausted. this. I'm exhausted. Because you've, you've had this career where you've been... <laughs> At, at multiple times in films, the object of beauty, and it, and in multiple 
campaigns for L'Oreal and things like that, where there is a perfection and an ideal. I see how you've had to go through that. And I wondered if on this film, there was this weird combination of vulnerability and also a, a freedom of like, oh, it doesn't matter. You, yes. you know, I can do my, I can just do my work. And yeah, there was a freedom. I mean, I have known for a long time, and I think the reason that I had the success I had is I knew when I did Sex, Lies, and Videotape, I knew then that the only reason people would connect with me, with me would be not for the way I looked, but for how I made them feel. Yes. So that has been a part of my understanding as an actor. I think when you know people already have this image of you as being this beauty they you know they have a hard time releasing you and 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 into the into a character if you continue to grasp hold on to that so when i did sex size and videotape i didn't ha i just would no makeup and i wanted to look like an average you know normal woman and and i wanted people to feel for me so i think that has helped me move move through my career but i just again i think that you know, it's these are the most the most powerful characters I've had for people to have that connection of of feeling because of the what the journey is. The journey is for both of these for this character, especially in Love After Love. I think yeah. more than any other character I, I've ever played before, you go on an emotional journey with them. So how I looked, even if I had a roll of fat, who cares? So do most women, honestly. I mean, we don't really walk around being a size two. Um, I'm not a size two. I've never been a size two unless I was sick. <laughs> the skinniest I ever got was when I went through my divorce. And I looked hideous, I, in my personal opinion. I know a lot of people probably saw me and thought, wow, doesn't she look great? Do you know, you're but, making a great point, though, which is, like, to, to get to some crazy ideal that has been put out there on magazine covers or in films it's or whatever, exhausting. you have to be physically sick or, or miserable well, or something. Yeah, you know, or just it's got to be something you do every day. And it is for most people yeah. in, in the business. They, you know, they work out like crazy idiots. I've seen people, and I'm not, I'm, I can't do it. But I have seen people, you know, they go to restaurants and they want their salmon cooked. They don't want any oil. They don't want any salad dressing. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I'm just not going to do that. I am so sorry. I, I can't do it. And in fact, when I buy a steak... I buy organic, no hormones, but I go home and I cook it in butter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it sounds like there's a self-awareness there, even from the beginning of the road you were going to have to yes. take. Like, even at Sex, Lies, and Videotape, understanding that. And, and I, I, I was curious about that because starting out as a model, first off, that's a lot easier than being yeah. an actress. If and it's also, it was you, a different time, too. And it was a different time. Very right. different time, which is totally different than what it is now. Boy, the world has changed. It is fascinating to me to see the difference with how people feel about modeling today and how they were back then, night and day. What's night, the biggest difference for day. you? Well, everybody's a model now. Right. All actors model, every one of them. And they're happy. They're ex so excited there is no there is no difference there's no like them and us did you but, feel back then like because you modeled 
it was going to be very hard to get people it to was. take you seriously. Everybody said it. You could hear it. They said it. It was common knowledge that that was the way the business thought. They said, you know, models shouldn't try to act. I heard it all the time. You know, it was almost like made you so afraid to even try. Um, the transition is impossible. Um, there was just a lot of negative, a lot of negative talk and a negative energy around that trend making, being able to make that transition. Well, modeling is such a strange <laughs> thing too, especially, I mean, you were, you were sort of, you didn't pursue it. You were spotted and picked out, right? Like, like oh, you got no, that's seen. Just on, that's just on the internet. Oh, no, well, no. tell me, did you want to act before you model? Like what was, what was your plan when I'll you were in you. high school? Yeah. Um, my mother was a music major okay. and uh, taught music in schools and used to take me to Limestone College, where she graduated from, to see um, plays. And I heard the first time I went to, to see a play with her, I saw all these adults up on the stage playing make-believe. And I was mesmerized. How old were you? Like eight, probably. Okay. Eight. And I couldn't believe that adults did that because that was my most favorite game in the whole world was to play make-believe. I loved it. And I did it everywhere. And I would quite often be the chief of getting people to do whatever concept I would come up with. You were the director, I was the, the director, and the, I was the director and the producer. <laughs> and so I'd come up with these concepts on what we would play. We would do accents and everything. And this was in the South, this was in South Carolina? This, yeah, this is in South Carolina. Okay. And I also played characters. That was another thing I did. So um, my, my, my friend and I, did, you know, did, do you know those commercials, Dot and Earl, that I did for Calvin Klein? No. Oh, man, you've got to watch them. Okay. If I say so myself. <laughs> pretty funny. But anyway, that was another thing. I, uh, we used to go out in character, my friend Phyllis. Phyllis and I used to dress up and go. I was from a little teeny tiny town, and um, there were only two bars there. So sometimes we would drive to the town next, just up the road, that was big for Where us. Where no one knew you. Where no one knew us. Right. And we would go in character. We would decide. We so had, what kind of characters? Well, usually she was Dot, which is what the Calvin Klein commercial is about, okay. Dot and Earl. And she was married to Earl, and we lived in Happy Valley, Trailer Court. And my name was Trixie Sean. I had a baby named Dixie Dawn. Now, you kind of know I was 16, <laughs> okay? But we would go out, we'd talk like this. Yep, we'll meet, try to meet us some men, and we'd go, we talk like this, and we'll meet. We'd just come up with whatever. One time we went out as Swedish sisters. <laughs> God. That what was, was a, that accent? Oh, I can't do it because I couldn't even do it then. I was horrible. I was horrible. I was horrible. I just couldn't, I can still see the men's faces at the bar. I was telling them we were Swedish sisters. She got awesome. I'm, you know, 5'8 and dark, and she's like 5'2 and blonde. So I don't know. We would just laugh and have a good time with right. each other and drink and get guys to buy us drinks and be stupid and go home. It was kind of it. But I'm still really close to her. Anyway, so I did these commercials for Calvin Klein. And one of them is uh, about Dot and Earl because the lady interviewed me. And um, they're all taken from true life stories. Okay. And they're like close-ups of me with the big fat baby face. And then they'll go down and look to the jeans and come back up. They were really big in the, I guess it's the early 80s. Anyway, so I did one about the Firefly, which was a prank telephone call that I made. 
Should I tell you? Because it's actually a really yes. funny story. And I was we a can prank telephone about... caller, too, so uh, I want to yes. hear it. Okay. My sister claims that she was my first acting coach because I would do the prank telephone calls. I think right. it was 13 or 14 when I did this particular one. I called up the Firefly, which was one of the two bars in yeah. our town, which looked like a prison from the outside. There were no windows. It's a scary-looking place. I've never been in there. But anyway, I called up. I said, may I speak to Mike? Because there was a Mike. Mike comes to the phone. I was like, hey, Mike, baby, how are you doing? And he goes, oh, girl, I'm all right. How are you? And I said, oh, baby, I've heard so many good things about you. And he goes, well, honey, I got a nine-inch dick and a bucket of balls. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, we're going gold. And um, I was like, oh, honey, I want to see that. I've got to see that. He goes, baby, i got to watch Chevrolet and I'll be sitting on the hood. So anyway, I couldn't even drive. So I told them this, and they wrote the commercial. But they didn't put nine-inch dick in a bucket of balls in there. They took that out. <laughs> yeah, I think I would have remembered that commercial. <laughs> but they did have Mike. And they did have a guy white Chevrolet and I'll be sitting on the hood. So you think this guy had more than two balls? Think he had three Nine or maybe? Nine-inch dick and a bucket of balls. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he had. And oh the funny thing God. is, is, my God, what if he watched this? Then he'd know who made that breakdown. That's right. Hopefully he's <laughs> long he dead. Or you're going to get or, a call. Or he doesn't, he doesn't watch your show. <laughs> <laughs> That's more likely. All right, so let's put the chronology together. So you are... You're, you're calling guys at the Firefly. <laughs> you're, you're hitting out-of-town bars. You're drifting a little bit. Oh, and modeling. I'll tell you that, too. And you're Real modeling. Quick. But what I want to know is, is, at that time, did you think, like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go be an actor. Do you have a family that said, we'll support you. you and find you acting classes? No. And- okay. I, I grew up with an alcoholic mother. I um, was very close to her. She was sweet to me, but very unhealthy. And I uh, worked at McDonald's with her. That's an interesting story. You she did. got fired. With your mom? With my mom. She was, like I said, a music major. She kept losing jobs because of the alcohol. Oh. And I watched that decline. It was really hard, I have to say. And I did an intervention for her when I was 17, a failed intervention. A failed in- intervention. It's a long story. Oh, my gosh. But anyway, in a nutshell, no, nobody was helping me because I was a little busy. But I did go... Um, she got fired from McDonald's, by the way. I drove her there. It was, I remember it to this day. I drove her in the afternoon. I thought she had enough coffee to be sober enough, and I miscalculated. So I really beat myself up over that, and she got fired. Well, but I imagine being back. a kid and having to mother your mother. Like, I have to say, it was, not, it was not an easy thing to no. do. It was not an easy thing to do. But um, I went in, and I asked them to give her the job back, and they did not, so I had to quit. So I quit. So that was, I couldn't go into work once she had lost her job there. I mean, that's just going to be weird, right? Oh, my gosh. But anyway, so I went to visit my sister when I was 17, who lived in Los Angeles. First flight ever took, first plane ever took. And while I was there, I went with my brother-in-law, who worked at the uh, Fashion Mart, and someone came up to me, and it was very bold for my little tiny redneck self from Gaffney in this big city, said, who are you? And, and, and gave me the card, and they said, you need to be a model, call me. It was too abrupt. I told my sister right before I left, 
And, um, and she was like, why didn't you tell me? And I cried for some reason. I said, I don't know. I was, they scared me. So then after that, my sister started sending me information on modeling. And, I have, and also, I would like go into – people would tell me all the time. I guess I looked like a model um, that I should model. So it planted a seed. I was a really lousy student and not, not really happy. I deal with some depression, by the way. So I don't know. I think it was probably not – as balanced as I needed to be, and I would kept dream, which also was it made me dream of like what's going to make me happy, what's going to make me happy. Right. So I went to New York. I went into Elite, and this woman walked by the door and came back out and said, "Who are you?" And I said, "I'm with that group of people." And she said, "Come back here." And she looked at my book, and she said, "When can you move here?" And I said, two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I went home and told my dad, who thought I was going to be a prostitute or something. I mean, he just didn't relate to it. It was not anything that had anything to do with where I came from. He wanted me to go to college. He always wanted to be a nurse, I think, because he wanted me to marry a doctor. I think that's kind of like the way he thought. You know, can it was I, like can that I just generation. stop you for a minute and go, <laughs> it's incredible to me that you had to go through all this and figure it out on your own. And it's pretty fascinating, isn't it? For instance, when I first started to model, um, I went. One of the first jobs I got was for Women's Wear Daily, and I went on this trip. And the girls that I was were with were kind of cool, but almost like I think too cool, kind of sitting around like I'm so cool. And I was very giving, so I kind of showed up like this little puppy, like what can I, what do you want, you know, kind of like that. I'll do it. What do you want me to do? And I did everything. I just did anything, jump in the water, whatever they asked me to do, I'd do it, you know. So I, I was like that. And then at dinner, we'd go to dinner, and I remember listening to the conversations. And they were so smart. And they were talking, like some of them could speak French. And they were talking about interesting, complex books or plays or theater. And I just remember thinking to myself, I've got some work to do. <laughs> That's what I remember thinking. I was like... Mm, got to catch up, you know? So I was smart because I knew I didn't know. And right. um, I never went on a job where I didn't look where I was. I never went on a job where I didn't pay attention. I went to museums. I read books. I went to theater. I had to play catch up because I grew up in this tiny little town where I really wasn't exposed to very much. Yeah. So did you have a plan to, like, to use modeling as a way to act or honestly I didn't no I really didn't have a plan I've been in Paris for a year and a half and then I went back to New York and I met my an an agent who was doing television I took classes I I went in for a shampoo class I have to tell you this (laughs) I remember so clearly I had to say um, it was an oil free shampoo yeah I said oil free shampoo <laughs> got a really big laugh. I got a really big laugh. And then I had to figure out well, why was everybody laughing? All free shampoo. But do you know why they were laughing? Because I said all, all free. Yeah, all free shampoo. Yeah. Which is how I'd always said it my and whole And how life. you spoke. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Yeah. So um, that's kind of where I started. I got Greystoke. I had just done this amazing trip with these beautiful pictures to Africa with Albert Watson and Grace Cottigan. And Hugh Hudson had seen them, and I looked in his mind exactly like Jane. Now, when I got it, 
I wanted to act, but I hadn't done anything to really help myself become so an actor. So you had that thing where you went straight from no acting to giant studio movie. Not a good move. I would never, never suggest it to anybody. Right. It, you can pull it off, but honestly, really, once I got there, I really didn't have a lot of support. I didn't have a great support system. I bet. And um, there's, you know, I, I, I was not prepared. I had no foundation. Zilch. None. And um, they dubbed me without me knowing. I oh, showed so, up. So you, you did the film, I and did then the without film, you knowing. And then they dubbed me, and then I went over. I went over to do something for them and found out they had done that. I was so devastated, I can't tell you. Wait a minute, so you finished the thing, everything's fine, no one says anything. My manager doesn't know, my agent doesn't know. I go to London to do something for them. I'm alone. So you had to discover it on your own and say, what's going on? Yes, I called my manager. They came over, we tried to re-loop it, it was, and it was disastrous. It was just disastrous. She did a mid-Atlantic accent, which I was not prepared to do. And... Um, that's not my fault. No one, you know, I wasn't, I, I didn't have the preparation to do it at that time. I couldn't right. do it. Since then, I've taken a lot of voice lessons. And um, I've had, I know I still speak with a southern accent, no, by the I way. I love your voice. <laughs> and, and I want to know how it felt, like, when that happens. I can get rid of it if someone asks me to do it. But honestly, I like it. And I've, I've softened it much more than it used to be and my ear has gotten really good so that I can listen for particular sounds and I like it I think it's pretty I, so. think, it's, I think it's one of the most endearing aspects of your entire career and is it is voice. me it is also me did you think uh, oh like, my god I you just was so uh, for, for, I, I knew exactly what was going to happen I knew I was going to be ridiculed do you think a lot of that I, I would have gotten ridiculed industry-wide ridicule. Do you think that was What's as much industry? in your head or world. your fear? Or do you oh, think- Oh, it happened. Really? Silent movie star. <laughs> All kinds of stuff. It was really, e it's too, it was too, it was too easy to make, to have fun with. Right, People they find that. the model, she gets in her first yeah, big yeah. film and they have to yes. dub her and it's yeah, a great yeah. story. Too, it's a great story. And it, yeah. it was, it was dragged out for a long time because it was just too good of a story, you know? And so many clever ways to write things about that subject. Too. But anyway, I got into class. I came back and I looked at all of these classes and I chose a class, particular class, just out of instinct, and because Jessica Lang had studied there. Okay. And I love Jessica Lang. She's my hero. And so she had studied there, so I thought I'll study there. And it was a great place. And I stayed there for a long time until I got. Sex Lies and Videotape. Right. Uh, so that was a kind of, and sadly, did not work as much. I felt that in order for people to take me seriously, I could not model. So I cut that off a little bit. So you well, committed. I committed. It's kind of like that, how it used to be if you did movies, you couldn't do television. And, and now it's, it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, it doesn't matter. Isn't that weird? I was, yeah. yes, isn't that so crazy? You were crazy? a movie actress. And you, yeah, you weren't supposed to. Well, okay, so, so... I guess I can really relate to this idea of thinking like, oh, I don't, they're not going to let me be in this world that I really want to be in. Because if you're good at something or if something comes easy to you and then you go and do something else and it doesn't work right away, it can feel like the whole world can see your flaws. Mm -hmm. And I just think about you and hearing about your mom, like I, I just imagine you as this person that didn't have a support system. You know, that makes me sad. that Because like, I guess you could have almost... You could have quit, right? 
Oh, I could have quit. That was that was one of the op. That was one of the options. Like, what was the secret? You know what I thing I, you, you were know carrying what it was? around the I will secret tell message. You, this is so weird, but this is the truth. And I've told my kids this. I thought about what my grandchildren would think about me. Isn't when you that crazy? were that age? Yeah. I thought my grandchildren are going to hear this story. They're going to say, "Oh, did you know Grandma that was was in a movie, but she had her voice dubbed." She never married another one. You were already projecting ahead three generations of shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I worried more about what my grandchildren thought about me. That was my main motivation. I can't help but ask if you had experiences when you were a kid of your mom doing things that made you feel like the town was talking about oh, you. Of course. Really? When you have a... And I'm sure they were. <laughs> you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't think it was a fantasy. I'm sure they were. It was a no, that's what time. I mean. Those experiences that would, that would sort of lay the foundation for that kind of thinking mm-hmm. later. Well, even more interesting is my mother had a nervous breakdown right after I was born. This is a small town. And was sent off to a place up in the mountains. Oh, really? It was the same place that Tennessee Williams Rose went, and and Zelda. I oh, used, right. yep, I do. Zelda Fitzgerald. Yes. So anyway, she had a nervous breakdown, was gone, and she had shock treatments. So I was an infant when this happened. So when that happened. So you didn't have. They said she was schizophrenic. Now I don't really know that she was schizophrenic. I think she. I think it's. I love psychology. I love reading about psychology and studying it because I think it's so close to being an actor, and it's all a part. It's all a part of the same kind of the same thing, understanding why people think the way they think, why they act the way they act. Anyway, so my town knew that. So this poor woman comes back after having shock treatments to four children, and then are not shortly thereafter, my dad cheated on her. And I'm sure, you know, people had to know that because people know everything in small towns. You can't breathe without anybody knowing it. And if they, and on top of it, what they know, they elaborate on. So God only knows what they said about her, this poor woman. Anyway, yes, and it was hard to bring people home. I bet, yeah. Because of her behavior. And I'm surprised I survived. I used to put out cigarettes every night because she would smoke. She would smoke. She would sit in the living room with the, in the den without the lights on and linoleum floor. There were burnt marks all in the floor, holes in the couch. So I would get up at night and come in and be sure the cigarettes went out, were out. And there would be like cigarette ashtray and the cigarettes, two, several cigarettes with the whole ashes, you know? Oh, yeah. But I loved her too, so there wasn't that... I'm a complete codependent, by yeah. the way. I, well, how do you not, how, how does that not become uh, ingrained in the fabric of your life from age of, you yeah. know, when you were an infant, your mom was away, and then... And a little bit of anxiety, you too. You had to take care of her. Yeah, lots of, lots of anxiety. No, but I, I, I understand that. I understand that something like that happens on Greystoke, and all of a sudden, it's like, what are my grandchildren going to think? Because it, you were probably trying to hold the entire thing together for yourself, and, and I can imagine that you go out there and, and you, get, you finally get away from that world and then you end up on, on a film way too early. Mm-hmm. And then when it falls apart, I'm sure the message must have been something like, well, I just don't belong here. Honestly, I do think I believed in myself. I had to. 
I had to, I think I thought I had something to offer. And I think getting Sex, Lies, and Videotape was the perfect role for me. I knew, I knew that I, I, I was meant to play that role. So yeah. I knew, I knew the nuances of this woman, deeply knew the nuances of this woman. Well, that woman had to keep a lot of things tight, too. Like, it seems like the character you played in Sex, Lies, and Videotape, she knows there's something up with her husband, but she can't put her finger on it. Mm -hmm. she, there's something up with her feelings, but that's not how a new wife is supposed to feel. So mm -hmm. she has to keep that bottled up. And, and the house is kept super together. And, and, and there yeah. was a lot that of, like... That has a lot to do with cleanliness yeah. for a woman. Yeah. Sex is dirty for that kind of woman. Right. A lot of women in the South were very screwed up. I made sure my kids, my daughters did not feel this way because I didn't want them to associate sex with being anything negative. But because women are supposed to be pure, um, it really screws them up. And I think that's what the character was. The character was a perfectionist. Everything had to be perfect. She had to be perfect. And... Um, she was, you know, kind of the person that was an A student. She had to please her parents. She had to do everything right. She had to do everything everybody wanted her to do, and she had to do it perfectly. And she was full of shame without even, you know, full of sh shame without doing anything. Well, I was curious about going through what you went through with your mom and then having kids if, if you sort of... I don't know, made a pact with yourself of, I'm not going to do this or I'm going to, you know, did, did it really make you reflect on your own childhood to have kids and the way you wanted to raise them? And My sisters and I have talked about how our, having our children was um, cathartic and healing ourselves because it gave us an opportunity to do everything that we wish they had done, our parents had done for us. Right. But by no means was I perfect. Because I don't think any, any parent is ever perfect. Well, and you had kids right at the height of your fame, too. Yeah. I mean, that seems like... I think I got a lot right. I think I got a lot more right. And what I have told my kids is, for all the corrections that I made, you get to make more corrections. Because I think when you come from that much, that much dysfunction, you correct what you can correct. At least I'm conscious of it. And, you know, I did go to therapy, and I am a deep thinker and a processor, and I reflect, and I'm, you know, I'm very much a com communicator with my children, where there was no communication with my parents right. whatsoever. So I think I've, cor I've corrected a lot of the mistakes, and I've given them a much better foundation than I ever had, that's for sure. But there's still some, you know, they can, we can just keep correcting, I think. They, you know, they can move it forward for whatever my failings were. They can try to get better for the next, the grandkids that <laughs> get to find out that, hey. <laughs> Mom got redubbed on Grace. I was dubbed in Grace Duck. But, hey, things worked out okay. Back in 84. <laughs> in the olden days <laughs> when the they used to days. dub humans. <laughs> Um, no, but, uh, but, you know, th that's, I think the hardest thing about being a parent is forgiving yourself and going, you know what, I'm doing pretty good given the circumstances. One of the best, the most poignant advice I ever got from a therapist 
was, he said, if you do not forgive yourself, you will teach your children that they cannot make mistakes. And I loved that. And I've, I've repeated that quite a few times <laughs> to my kids. I've told them that one. You know, I did. A, I had a second marriage. I was married to their father. I had three kids right. with Paul. I got married again at, at a time where I was really not sane. I, I had not fully recovered from the divorce, and I was in a really kind of cuckoo place. I was like the, tw- the 12-year-old in me had taken over, was in sitting there driving, you know, and I don't know where I went, my, grown, my adult self. But um, I, I really, you know, felt so stupid for doing that. I, and I was beating myself up in therapy about that. That's when he said that to me. He goes, if you do not forgive yourself, you would teach your children that they can never make a mistake. And I went home and I told my kids, guess what I just found out today? I said, you know how I keep beating myself over this particular thing? Because I kept apologizing to them. And they said, Mom, we've been trying to tell you. <laughs> We're not upset about it. Move we on, we just love you. Yeah, we just love you. We just want you to be happy. Yes, we always try to set a good example for our kids. But we hope we're not setting some example that, that they feel like, oh, now I, I feel pressured to live up to some level of perfection because my parents aren't showing me. Yeah. And I think, they still might be screwed up, so I oh, don't know. Oh, they're going to be screwed up, <laughs> regardless. <laughs> but, but just only a pinch. Just enough. <laughs> just enough to make them interesting. Well, I think, I think it's fascinating, and, and I feel like you're somebody who, I, I, you know, barely scratched the surface of your life, and, and putting together your upbringing with the success you've had, it's kind of an incredible thing that you were able to overcome that. I, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm kind of, I have to say sometimes I'm rather fascinated that I ended up where I am, um, and that I've been able to accomplish what I've accomplished because I really, you know, I didn't have, I wasn't around anybody that was doing this. But I knew when I was a little girl. And it was all from going to that play because they got to play make-believe, which I just love doing so much. Still, I love doing it. It's so much fun. But you had to sort of figure it out on your own. I did. I had, so, yeah, and there's so many steps to it where I was constantly just, you know, kind of figuring out what the heck, what do I do now? How do I do this? You know, you talked briefly about trying to have an intervention for your mom and it failed. Mm-hmm. Did she get to see some success? And- I'll tell you about that. Um, because my mother had had the shock treatments, I think she was terrified of going in. Unfortunately, my sister gave her some value, which I really don't think she should have. Sorry, Babs, when you see this, but <sighs> I've been beating myself up over this. But... Um, because as the codependent, I, I think I could have gotten her in there. We relived these things, you know. But um, anyway, right after we tried to get her into the place, we took her to where we Bull Street, where we could have committed her. And the doctor came down to look at her and said, "She will be. If you do not commit her, she will be dead in five years." But committing her to Bull Street after everything that she had been through. Shock treatment. And, yes, and. Yeah. And no true dialogue. I'd never really had any dialogue with her about that because how do you approach that subject when you are the daughter of someone? I didn't have the wherewithal to approach that approach that subject with her. I you was were just so kind of yeah. And it was my idea to do the intervention. I made the calls. I don't even know how I figured that one out. But anyway, we were driving her home. My sister Beverly and I. We got pulled over by the cops. Oh my God, got a ticket. And you know. 
that was a lot of money for us. So it was just like a bummer day. My mother, our mother's in the back seat. We've just been told, you know, had this hideous day. Um, I went home and I did tell her, I did have the wherewithal to tell her that the doctor, because she could remember it, even though, you know, she was on the Valiums, I said, the doctor told me, told us that if you don't stop drinking, you're going to be dead in five years. I said, we didn't put you in there because we, we just couldn't bring ourselves to do it. He wanted us to put you in, but we didn't because we couldn't, we couldn't stomach it. But he said, if you don't stop drinking, you're going to be dead in five years. And she quit drinking alcohol, supposedly, and she started drinking wine. But when I lived in Paris, she wrote me a letter telling me that she had quit drinking. I still have it. It's handwritten. And she told me that she had quit drinking. And I did not get to experience it. I didn't go home Thanksgiving, and I regret, I've regret, had to live with a lot of regret for that because I'd like to try to find out what it was like to be around her not drinking, you know, and I never got to experience that. Oh, and you lost her around that time? Oh, she died. He said, yeah, he was right. I was 23. She died. Oh. He was right. It's a horrible story, isn't it? Well, you were just a kid. I mean, it's not your fault at yeah, all. Yeah, I know. I know. And that's the other thing. I, you know, I can't beat myself up too much because as the codependent, I really want to spend all my time with my kids. And I'm going to break it to you right now. They don't want to spend time with you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. They're going to break my heart. Them. I know. They don't I have want to spend, only daughters. I had to and... remember. I had to remember when I was 21. Do you want to hang out with that? Like, that's what I was saying earlier. You don't want to hang out with your parents when you're 21, not unless something's wrong with you. Right. But, um, yeah. You know, so I was doing everything I needed to do, and we didn't have Internet. We didn't have Skype. We didn't, you know, we didn't have text back then. Sure. So I would go for a long time without talking to my parents, which is another thing I have to remind myself because I am so freaking needy to hear from my kids. I can't tell you. That's something I'm working on, but I love my attachment to them, and I try really hard not to text them too much. It's, it's super hard for me. It's Well, listen, you, you have obviously forged this amazing relationship with your kids and <laughs> managed to raise these kids that are, that are creative and they've gotten the support and they're working and they're successful. Mm -hmm. And that's a great accomplishment to create, to create a family that, you know, where, where you're that close and you want to be. And you get to keep working on the relationships too. That's right. You know, what you, you can make mistakes and you can keep, keep working on them. That's what I, one time Rainy and I had a little tiff and I think it was probably right around, she was maybe 20, 23 or 24. And I said, you know, Rainy, I said, hug, let's hug, let's hug, let's hug. Whatever it is that, you know, that's going on with us, uh, with us, we have time to fix it. Just think, my mom died. I never had time. I said, whatever it is, we'll fix it. We'll, we'll work on it. We can make it better. And she just softened, you know. I could just feel her body just soften because course there's time to fix it well, whatever it is listen this is i could talk to you for hours and this is fascinating <laughs> and i just have loved you for years and four weddings and a funeral and sex lies and videotape were films that just really got me when i was younger i just showed my kids groundhog day and now mm -hmm. it became my 12 year old's favorite movie and and i you know seeing you in love after love and seeing you get this opportunity to to do what you can do in a you know, in a film that 
that really appreciates that is is it's fantastic. And thank you. I've loved talking to you. So thanks oh, for, yeah. thank thanks you. for coming thanks and so doing much, this. Sam. Yeah. <laughs>